I'm Tavis Smiley, and we've made it to hour three. And I've been looking forward to this conversation with our friend and brother, Dr. George Fraser, uh, as he makes his, uh, his annual January visit to uh, help us maximize the moment that is this new year. We'll get to George Fraser in just a second here. Uh, in case you have not heard, one more game. Uh, the Oscar nominations were announced earlier today, and it's a pretty good day for black people. Ain't no stopping us now. McFadden and Whitehead. All right, here we go. Uh, for Best Picture, uh, Cord Jefferson, the black director, uh, uh, is nominated for American Fiction. So his film, American Fiction, is nominated in the uh, Best Picture category. If you've not seen American Fiction, you'll want to see it. I've said it all, all day today. It's an amazing film. <laughs> Uh, so Cord Jefferson, black director, um, has his film American Fiction nominated in the Best Picture category. For Best Actor, Colbin Domingo, uh, who played Bayard Rustin in Rustin, is nominated. So is our friend and brother Jeffrey Wright uh, for the aforementioned American Fiction. So two brothers going against each other in the Best Actor category, Colbin Domingo for Rustin, Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Supporting Actor. Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction. So you got uh, the lead actor and the supporting actor for American Fiction, both nominated for awards. That's a big deal. Uh, congratulations to Jeffrey Wright and Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction. In the Best Actress category, the first Native American woman ever to be nominated for Best Actress in Oscar history, Lily Gladstone, nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon. So there's color in that category. By the way, I'm not done with the list yet, but there's color in every single major category this year. Uh, there's color, and that's a that's a big deal. So no Oscars so white this year. Best Supporting Actress, Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple and Divine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers. So you got two brothers going against each other in the Best Actor category and two sisters going against each other in the Best Supporting Actress category. Uh, and then you've got some black folk uh, nominated for Best anim animated, animated, if I can say it, Best Animated Feature Film of the Year, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Kent Powers is on that team, uh, brother. Uh, in the Best Documentary Feature Film category, you got uh, some black folk nominated there. Uh, in the Best Documentary Short Film, some black people nominated there. And Original Song, uh, John Baptiste, uh, John Baptiste uh, is nominated uh, for his song, It Never Went Away. From American Symphony. So in every major category, uh, there is color, there's diversity this time around, and there's more diversity in categories like animated feature, best documentary feature, best documentary short film, original song. Uh, so again, uh, we will not uh, have uh, uh, a lot of commentary this year, at least about Oscars so white, and that is a good thing. Uh, these are some really good films um, and some great actors. And congratulations to all the persons I've had time to mention who were nominated officially today or earlier this morning uh, when the nominations were first announced. So there's that in case you hadn't heard it. Now to this conversation that I'm looking forward to with entrepreneur, author and motivational speaker, Dr. George Fraser, who will help us uh, once again, as he does every year, un uh, unpack and unlock the secrets of wealth inclusion and success for us this year and we'll talk about how to empower ourselves our community and how to build a legacy uh, as we uh, continue to dominate the 21st century dr george fraser happy new year my friend how are you uh, happy New Year, Tav. It's so good to hear your voice. Looking forward to this conversation as usual. <clears throat> Thank you for the Oscar review. Yeah, there ain't no stopping us now. <laughs> I mean, that is awesome. No, it's, it's quite a list. <laughs> well. and, you know, and you know I'm an OG, so that's one of my favorite all-time <laughs> songs. And they don't make them like that anymore. They don't write them like that anymore. But I love that song. No, Thank I'll, you for, for I love it, too. McFadden Whitehead, you can't fade the Philly sound. Uh, Kenny Gamble right. and Leon Huff. Uh, we are heard, of course, 
in, right. in, in Philly uh, mm-hmm. right about now. And so uh, shout out to all of our friends in, in Philadelphia and to Gamble and Huff and that Philadelphia sound. It, it's a beautiful thing. Um, let, let me, I, I want to, let me, let me just start. I mean, I'm, I'm watching my clock here. It, I took a few extra minutes to go through the Oscar rundown. Um, and so let me tell you what I want to do when we come forward. And I want to put you on the spot here. I know a little something about a major, major project that you are working on. Uh, and the word is starting to seep out uh, about mm-hmm. this major uh, project, uh, this legacy project that you are behind. And I want this audience to hear directly from you about this major undertaking um, that is um, coming to life literally every single day. So when we come forward, I want to start with that uh, because it seems to me, and I'm, I'm learning this more and more, Dr. Fraser, as I get older, that with all that I've been blessed to do as an individual, and there are many of us who've been blessed to accomplish a lot uh, as individuals, but it ultimately is about the institution building that we do that matters most. It's nice when you get this award and that award and this recognition and that acknowledgement, but ultimately we have to be about the business of institution building. And I want you to hear about this major project that I'm pleased to support that Dr. George Fraser is at the epicenter of. It's his vision, it's his goal, it's his dream. He's had it for a couple of decades now, but it is finally coming to pass. I want you to hear about it from him, and then we're going to talk about how to help you make the most of this year. Our guest is Dr. George Fraser on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Come on! COVID-19. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Before I yield to the gentleman from Cleveland, Ohio, to uh, share with you um, these fascinating details about this major, major undertaking that I want you to hear about, uh, I uh, should mention, uh, in addition to the list uh, of um, um, Academy Award nominees that I referenced earlier, just a few days ago on January the 9th, as I recall, Our friend uh, and sister Angela Bassett uh, received an honorary Oscar this year at the Governor's Awards, and that's a big deal. Uh, Angela has not yet uh, received uh, an earned uh, Oscar. She's been robbed, I think, a couple of times, but that's just me. (laughs) She's such an amazing, amazing thespian. Uh, But this year, the Academy saw fit to give our friend and sister Angela Bassett an honorary Oscar at the Governor's Awards. Uh, That was earlier this month, so uh, I should mention that as well. Congratulations to Angela Bassett. Uh, for that honorary Oscar earlier this year. And we will see in the coming weeks what these other brothers and sisters can pull off uh, in, the, in these various categories. We celebrate all these black and brown people today who were nominated for Academy Awards. Once again, <laughs> diversity in every single major category. That hadn't happened uh, ever, and if ever. It's been a long time. Um, so we celebrate uh, all of them and uh, congratulate all of them. All right, Dr. Fraser, now I want to pass it, Mike, to you because I want to, again, uh, do what you do every year in terms of uh, getting us ready mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, professionally to make the most of this year. But I want to just take a few minutes. uh, So take your time here uh, and tell the audience what I already know about regarding this major project that's coming online in Atlanta. Take it away. Thank you, Tavis. Um, There are 110 black history museums in America. I've visited 80 of them. And it occurred to me 20 years ago after visiting my 80th Black History Museum that there was really no celebration, no recognition of the enormous contributions that black people have made to business 
uh, and capitalism uh, to the, in this great country. Now, you might see something about uh, Madam C.J. Walker, Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, but that is just a scintilla of the kind of excellence in spite of racism that we have contributed to economic development and building wealth in our community and building businesses in our community in spite of a racist environment in which we had to grow up in, certainly in the last 350 years. Um, so it occurred to me that something had to be done about that. And the idea was to build a Black Business Legacy Hall of Fame Museum and Metaverse to recognize these contributions for all time. And, uh, and, and but, but, you know, there, there, there are a couple of core core reasons, not only to recognize and celebrate 400 years of historical models of black business excellence and contribution to global capitalism despite racism, but to recognize the struggle that it took and the tremendous odds that, that were against us. Why? Because it's not currently part of our historical record anywhere in the world, as it should be. Every place I've traveled uh, throughout the diaspora, there is no recognition of that contribution. Uh, the Legacy Project also will provide motivation and inspiration and become an aspirational goal. This is key, an aspirational goal for more current and future generations of our children to choose black business development and excellence as a primary path forward. Now, we say in 100 Black Men, what they see is what they'll be. And we know that aspirationally, or I speak in about 40 HBCU, uh, HBCUs a year, and I stop in the middle of my talk, and I ask by a show of hands, how many of you want to be in entertainment or business or entertainment or sports when you graduate from this esteemed college? 80% of our kids raise their hand. Why? There is an aspirational goal. There is the football, baseball, basketball Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. There's the Academy Awards, the Emmy Awards, the Grammy Awards. This is what is this is what is merchandised. This is what is marketed. This is what we see. This is what is celebrated. And therefore, and we're, you know, we're, we're big television watchers. Uh, and now we are staring at our smaller screen, social media. So this is the thing that, that is emphasized. So I think that the third important reason for this is to help our people to significantly increase uh, the desire to start and to build uh, and to scale new businesses uh, with the intention uh, over the next two generations to 5x and 10x the number of businesses that we have started, uh, which is currently about 3.1 million businesses uh, in black America. Uh, but we have the lowest number of businesses per capita of any culture group in this country. And we came over here on the Mayflower of the 3.1 million businesses, Tavis, uh, only 141,000 of those businesses employ anybody. But the average annual revenue of those 141,000 black owned businesses is about $1.2 million a year. Uh, and that increase has that has had a, a about a forty percent increase over the last five year reporting period. These numbers are reported every five years by the Census Bureau. Um, but the that means that uh, about two point nine million of our businesses are sole proprietorships. Sole proprietorships. The average revenue of a sole proprietorship is about eighteen thousand seven hundred dollars a year. So that's below the poverty line. So we need.
need to build and scale. We need aspirational goals. We need something in our culture, something in our community that waves the flag, start and build businesses so that we can uh, employ our own people. I'm praying that by the end of the 21st century uh, that we will become the number one employer of our own people by starting and building more businesses as Jews are the number one employer of Jews, Asians are the number one employer of Asians, East Indians are the number one employer of East Indians, Arabs are the number one employer of Arabs. We, too, have to be the number one employer of our own people. In fact, Asians have solved their own unemployment problem just opening small Asian restaurants uh, in the hood. In fact, I I tell brothers and sisters all the time, if you go into an Asian restaurant and there are four brothers uh, working in there, leave. That's not a real Asian (laughs) restaurant because Asians do not employ black people. (laughs) They employ Asian people. Right? And you can't hate on them for that. And then the other question I ask, have you ever seen a line of Asians waiting to get into a soul food restaurant. I've never seen it, right? <laughs> but there's a line of black folks in the hood waiting to get into these Chinese restaurants, and they don't even like you. <laughs> so so we, have work, we have work to do. Yes. And, and I think the, the Black Business Legacy Hall of Fame, we're hoping to build it in Atlanta at, on the AU Center where Morehouse, Spellman, Clark, Atlanta, Morris, Brown, and the Interdenominational Theological Seminary is. Mm-hmm. So that is, that is our goal. That is one of my New Year's resolutions, and that is to take the next step towards building out this important institution. Remember, brothers, this is the Black Business Legacy Hall of Fame Museum, Metaverse, and um, uh, and Metaverse, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a four-phase project. The first phase will be to build out the Metaverse. That's about 2 to $3 million. So you'll be able to experience globally with a tiny admission fee to experience what you're going to experience in the fourth phase, which is the brick and mortar, mm-hmm. hopefully to be in Atlanta. But the first is the Metaverse. The second is to do a global tour. Um, talking about it and then giving people examples of what it's going to look like the live experience will be. Um, and then we'll, you know, and, 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 and so that, that, that's the kind of thing that we're working on. Mm-hmm. And then the final phase, which is about five to seven years away, and that is to build the brick and mortar to have an iconic building. The two things that I have always loved as a child, museums and architecture. I don't mm-hmm. know why. I just loved museums. Maybe because uh, when, when I was a foster kid, uh, my foster parents lived in Manhattan on 98th Street between Central Park West and uh, Amsterdam. Uh, Columbus Avenue, and uh, down the, uh, you know, we used to play in uh, the Museum of Natural History. Uh, like they play in malls now, we used to play in the museums, uh, which were not far from where I live. So maybe that's why I love museums. But 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 anyway, that is the big vision. Uh, that is the 20,000-foot view of that vision. That is what we are aggressively working on. We've got a hundred and 40 people on our Leadership Advisory Council, and thank God you are a part of that Leadership Advisory Council. Thank you for 
celebrating this. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak on it. Uh, it is not really a well-known uh, uh, piece of information yet. Uh, we are working out all the details. We are now, again, uh, in the fundraising phase of, of the project, uh, which will start in 2024. The, the uh, earlier phases, of course, was developing it all out, mm-hmm. doing all the groundwork, doing all the research, and uh, you know, doing what we have to do to to make this thing real yeah. so that's well, I, what it is well and, I, I, I cheat i cheated because i have a a, a a unique connection to you in this project so i cheated a little bit and i don't apologize for that i wanted this right. national audience <laughs> i want this audience to hear about what you are working on and there are a number of ways i want to connect that as we move through the rest of this hour uh but i celebrate you let me just pause for a second i celebrate you for this vision I celebrate you for the work that you are doing. You're not 20 years old anymore, and you're still putting in work mm-hmm. every single day. Uh, but I yeah. celebrate what you are doing to bring this um, this uh, this uh, vision uh, to life. Uh, the Bible says, "Where there is no vision, the people perish." And I love the vision that you have. I love the the, the again the work and witness that you're putting in. And I'm confident that uh, down the road we will see. Uh, the final phase of this uh, in brick and mortar. But what you're doing right now, just to bring it online, is pretty amazing. And I, I want to just, I'm watching my time, but I want to just ask a couple of questions here right quick. Number one, uh, quickly, uh, why, why is it? I'm not naive in asking this, but you, you laid it out so brilliantly. And it wasn't lost on me or the audience that we honor everybody in black America for pretty much everything. We do sports, we do music, we do fashion. Right. We, I mean, you, you ran the list and I'm not hating on anybody, not casting aspersion or demonizing anybody. Right. Uh, we have talent and we are, we are, we're, we're pretty amazing in all of these fields of human endeavor and we ought to be celebrated in music and beyond. But why is it? Just tell me why you think it is that the one thing we don't do is honor our entrepreneurial genius. That is a $64,000 question, Tavis. Uh, I agree with you, and it occurred to me, uh, you know, like being in, hit in the head with a brick. Why don't we do that? And now I had to spend several years visiting our museums because I love museums. And, and again, after 80 visits, this was back in the 90s, right up to the beginning of the 2000s. It, 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 why, why, why? Why don't we celebrate that? Why don't mm. we recognize that? What is that mm. about us? And um, and, and maybe it's part of, of of our certainly part of my generation's orientation. I'm a baby boomer. I'm closer to eighty than I am to seventy. Okay, mm. and our generation's orientation was get a good education and get a good job. Nobody mm. was talking about getting a damn business, building a business, mm. get a good job, and preferably get a good government job. Oh yeah, that. Was our entire orientation? There's always work okay? at the post office. Always work at the we post were, office. Yeah, that's right. I, I lived in Bedside, Brooklyn, New York, right on Putnam Avenue between Reed and Stuyvesant. Is, uh, Reed is now Malcolm X Boulevard, and there was a whole plethora of businesses right around the corner from my brownstone. And the only thing black owned was the barber shop and the beauty salon. Everything mm. else was Jewish supermarkets, small businesses. So we were not even oriented, talked to, talked into uh, my father, in a sense, I call him a self-employed professional. Mm. That's just modern day language. But he was a cab driver, (laughs) but he owned his own medallion. Okay, Mm -hmm. now back in the day, owning a medallion in New York City was uh, was a 
big, big deal. deal. Yeah. Now, Uber has, that's right, Uber has killed all of that. So my father didn't really work for anybody. He worked for himself. He invested, uh, he was from uh, you know, the Caribbean. He invested in his own medallion. So he reported to Walter Frederick Fraser, right? That's the closest mm. I saw to anything entrepreneurial. Mm. But it still did not resonate with me. And I'm from a family of 11, eight boys and three girls. And all of us got good educations and got good jobs. Yeah. Let me let me let me I, let me come in on that. I got two minutes. Let me do this right quick and get your take on this and we'll move uh, forward. Um, we hear so many horrible stories all the time about kids in foster care. Uh, and I'm not demonizing that system. I'm just saying we hear these stories all right. the time. But what happens to kids in foster care, especially when they term out? But you are always very, very transparent about saying you were a foster kid. In two minutes, give me the right. top line version of how a kid in foster care turns out to be like George Fraser. <laughs> oh, see. Boy, you asked the best damn question. No one's ever asked me that question. Um, I, I, you know, I think part of it is DNA. Um, part of it is, uh, the, in a sense, the punishment of foster care, because I, I was in toxic foster homes. Mm. And uh, our, my foster parents, and again, I'm not hating on the foster care system. I'm a huge supporter of the foster care system. But my foster parents were old school Southerners. Mm. Uh, a, you get an ass whipping. B, you work every day. You don't go out to play until you finish the work that you're done. So the work ethic, and then you got to do it with excellence, okay? And they would inspect. They were old school like that. So in one way, I loved, I, I, I really appreciated. They taught me work ethic. They taught me uh, the importance of doing it with excellence or there's no reward. Mm. Um, they taught me the effective utilization of time because I have to do my stuff on time. I have to get in and out of school, get my work done if I wanted to have any pleasure. Mm. So those things helped me. But, but, but at the end of the day, uh, I, fortunately, my father, who stayed in close touch with his children, um, maintained his brownstone in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. And uh, when I aged out of foster care, I did have a place to go back to. The problem is a lot of kids age out of foster care and they have no That's home it. to go back to. That's About 40 percent of them, many of them end up homeless mm -hmm. or fending for themselves at a young age. Now, I had another problem. I mean, we'll talk about that after the break. I, I, see, this guy, he's a pro, man. <laughs> George Fred is trying to get my job, y'all. He's trying to get my job. All he, uh, the only thing he didn't say was, when we come <laughs> forward. So when we come forward, I'll let George Fraser finish that story. You listen to Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Sounds different, huh? This, this is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Dr. George Fraser, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, uh, the, the the master networker. Uh, pleased to have him on this program as he does every January to motivate and inspire us for the year. We're getting to that, I promise, in a moment. Uh, but uh, we started out talking about this amazing project he's working on. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's it's just uh, every time I hear the story of, uh, of what he intends to do, what he is doing, uh, I'm inspired by it. And then we, we segued into... Uh, uh, a, a question I asked that I'd never asked him before, and one he said he'd never been asked, about how he has been able to accomplish all he's been blessed to do 
Um, as a foster kid, uh, we hear these horror stories about kids coming out of foster care all the time. Mm-hmm. That has not been the story of one mm-hmm. Dr. George Fraser. And you were saying that kids age out, they don't, usually they don't have a place to go to. Uh, you had a place to go back to, but you said you had another problem, another challenge. Pick up the story. Yeah. Um, uh, when I was a foster kid, no one thought <clears throat> I was college material, so I was sent to a vocational high school, uh, Thomas Edison High School, and got a diploma in carpentry. But I couldn't get a job in carpentry or an apprenticeship in, uh, uh, in, in carpentry in New York because the Italians control the carpentry's union at that time. This is back in the uh, the uh, the early 60s. Mm-hmm. And so the first real job, the real job that I could get that was sort of a quasi-government job, which was fulfilling uh, my parents' dream, was with the Port Authority, and the Port Authority controls all the airports in New York. So I got a job on the midnight shift uh, mopping floors uh, at LaGuardia Airport. At LaGuardia Airport, so I'm talking to myself in the bathroom, and I'm saying, "God, why am I doing this?" Okay, but I've got to do it. So I did it, and um, I uh, was spit shining urinals and toilets, and they were the cleanest bathrooms in LaGuardia Airport. Mm-hmm. Believe me, mm-hmm. if you go to LaGuardia Airport today, go down into the maintenance department. There's a plaque on the wall and a picture. It's me. I was the best floor mopper in yes. the history yes. of LaGuardia Airport. I'm I'm spit shining some urinals, urinals one day and, and then go to the toilets. And there's a a, a white guy that came into the um, uh, into the bathroom. It's about midnight, right? Uh, a little after midnight, had a late flight, and he hears me whistling. The bathroom smells great. He taps me on the shoulder. He says, "Young man, I've never I've never heard anyone whistling while." cleaning toilets and this place smells great it's the best cleanest bathroom i've ever been in he said would you be interested in doing something else and i said uh uh yeah he said um would you like to sell encyclopedia britannica so i said uh, well i don't know i don't really know how to sell encyclopedia. he said we'll teach you so he gave me his card it wasn't cell phones back then he had his he had his landline number on he said give me a, a week or so until i get back to the office and um uh, uh, you know, uh, give me a call. And I did. And I followed up. Uh, one of the big mistakes that black folks make with networking is they don't follow up. 99.9% of black folks will never, ever, ever follow up. People used to say to me, Dr. Fraser, aren't you worried? You give, you give people your business card with all your information. I said, I'm not worried. They will never, ever, ever, ever follow up. <laughs> Brothers and sisters who's listening, uh, the fortune is in the follow-up. I followed up. He gave me a job selling Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, the big, the bigger problem was when I aged out of foster care, I went back to the brownstone that my father maintained for his children. Now I was the youngest with me and my brother Joseph. We were the youngest, and I had older brothers who had gotten there before me. All right now, by time me and my sister and my younger brother gotten uh, when we aged out, got back to the house, uh, the brownstone. Um, uh, my older brothers were heroin addicts, and they were selling heroin. Mm. And um, uh, in fact, the, the place of business was my father's brownstone. So I'm looking at this, and my sister's looking at this. and says, "We got to get the hell out of here." All right. So I try to convince my younger brother Joseph. I'm moving to Cleveland because I had an older sister in Cleveland, um, much older. Fact, she's still living today, um, and that's why I chose Cleveland because she was there and she took me in. I got my packed up my stuff, tried to convince Joseph to come with me, and uh, he no, he wanted to stay, and uh, and I and I came to Cleveland, Ohio. 
Uh, about four years later, Joseph was killed in a drug deal that went bad. He became a heroin addict and a heroin dealer. Um, and, 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 and that's how my life started, mm. right? That was the beginning of my life. Um, but God works in mysterious ways. Say that. Um, say that. My favorite, God wakes, works in mysterious ways. I mean, <clears throat> listen. They're obstacles. We all have obstacles. This is what life is, right? There's just no question about it. And and this is what we have to deal with. I think it was Virginia Woolf who said, uh, you cannot find peace by avoiding life, right? Mm. This is life as mm. it is. So um, I, I, have to, I, have to, I have to do something different. And, um, and, and I think the, the pain and the, uh, the agony and the, the cauldron of the obstacles I have to overcome as a young person, um, uh, you know, as I like to say, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, That's right? True. How you do anything is how you do everything, mm. right? So, and, and, and that carried forth with me uh, for years and years to come. And everything that I managed or was able to do, uh, or opportunities that I was able to secure, um, really uh, laid the path for the steps that I took uh, as I began my path down life. So I understood that relationships were critically important. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Introduce me to your five closest friends, and that will tell me who you are. Mm. Uh, there's a thing in there's a thing in 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 um, the world of networking called the power of proximity. A lot of people don't know this concept that if you sit next to a high performer, uh, you will perform about fifteen percent better. Mm. So a high performer, just in your proximity will increase your performance by 15%, increase your productivity by 15%, right? If you're hanging next to a low performer, an underperformer will decrease your performance by 30% or your productivity by 30%. So every B player that you bring on board in your life is not just decreasing their productivity or your productivity by 30%, but because it is the energy transfer, which is that is, is that everybody around them becomes a, a little bit less productive, right? And I can see that in my golf game. I've been playing golf for 50 years, right? The better players I play with, the better I play. Mm. The worst players I play with, I mean, I've been playing golf for 50 years, thousands of games, and every time I play with the best players I could possibly muster on that game, I play better. Yeah. If I, if I'm, if for some reason I'm picked to play with the worst players, I play worse. So this is the power of proximity. It is extremely important to understand that. And finally, the other concept in is 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 is, is called the the strength of weak ties. Hold that. Hold that. Hold that. Hold that. Hold that, hold that talk. Hold that thought. The strength of weak ties. We've talked about the power of proximity, and we'll talk about the strength of weak ties when we come forward. I'm still I'm still noodling that the fortune is in the follow-up. Hope my friends are listening right now. The fortune, George Fraser said, is in the follow-up. We'll talk about the strength of weak ties as juxtaposed to the power of proximity with the one and only George Fraser. When we he's preaching now when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what 
we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Dr. George Fraser is killing it, and now he is submerging. He's submerging deeper with every breath. Uh, he was talking a moment ago about the power of proximity. I'm still noodling that. And now he's transitioning to the strength of weak ties. Take it away, Dr. Fraser. Yes. People with whom you have weaker ties are more likely to have information and connections that are useful and relevant. What does that mean? It means they are generally not in your circle of friends. These are people you have weak ties with. They're not in your immediate circle of friends. Um, They could be, though, friends of friends. They could be new friends. And so the, 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 the point I'm trying to make here with folks is get out in the world, brothers and sisters, and meet new people. Be nice to people. Smile. You never know who you are talking to. Right. Um, And this is one of the reasons whenever humanly possible, when I fly, I try to fly first class. A is only two seats. It's more comfortable and typically uh, smarter people, more resource people are flying in first class. These are people I don't know, but I always strike up a conversation and I can tell you some of the most important relationships that I uh, have accrued in my life life have come from casual conversations of people I did not know, but got to know. And the relationship was some of the most productive in my life. Mm. The strength of weak ties, right? Mm. Don't think that all of Ah, No way. No way. That's not possible, Miles. That is not possible. Dr. Frazier is killing it. And we lost his line. Uh, let me just tell you uh, that we're going to get him back. Uh, I got a few minutes left between now and the top of the hour, and we ain't wasting this good time. You don't need to hear me ramble. You need to hear more of Dr. Fraser. He's been talking uh, for the last few minutes about the power of proximity. Uh, and that, that, that was that data not fascinating or what? That if you sit next to somebody who's overperforming, your performance goes up by 15%. Just being in proximity to people who are handling their business. But if you sit next to a fool who ain't handling his or her business, uh, your, 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 your productivity goes down by 30%. That, those, that, that data is fascinating for me. Your point, Dr. Fraser, very quickly was that we got to get out and do what? We got to get out, engage, meet people, right? You never know who you're talking to, and we, we and, and have to build circles that are concentric to our inner circles. Mm. And this is how we build networks that extend way beyond uh, what our immediate reach is. This is the the strength of weak ties. In Mm. other words, don't ever discount the value or worth of a person that you're talking to. You never know Mm. until you engage and until you explore. Can any? And this is a longitudinal study. It was back in 1986, a guy by the name of Mark Gransverter. You yeah. can Google it, brothers and sisters. And by the way, I, I, I forgot to mention, uh, if you want to learn more about the Black Business Legacy Hall of Fame, just go to www.blackbusinesslegacyfoundation.org. Blackbusinesslegacyfoundation.org, and you can learn all mm. about 
um, all of the details of the uh, Black Business Legacy Hall of Fame. Can anything good come out of foster care? Somebody said yes. Can anything good come out of Cleveland? Somebody said yes. His name is George Fraser. Our remaining moments with him when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Uh, Miles, my, my board up and I were just talking every week. We had to figure out what three hours we're going to reprise on Friday for the best of Tavis Smiley. Uh, it's only Tuesday, but one of those hours we have figured out. <laughs> one of the hours we'll reprise this Friday, we have already figured out, and you're inside of it right now. In the three minutes I have left, Dr. Fraser, I will give every minute of it, every second of it to you as you've earned it and deserve it. And this audience needs to hear a bit more from you. What is your best advice in these next three minutes for how we can commence this year? to unlock the secrets of wealth, inclusion, and success for ourselves. Yeah. Um, It's to understand that the tax system was set up for the landowner and the business owner. Why is that? Because the tax laws are written by landowners and business owners. (laughs) So if you... (laughs) Duh. um, (laughs) I love it. So... Right, right, right. So, 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 if you don't own land, I don't care if it's an apartment building, a, a two-family home, uh, a garage that you uh, you bought to park your car. If you don't own land, and if you don't have a business, and today you can start a business on a dime, you can start a business at home, you can start a business again in your house. Write off all the things that necessary to do that business. If you don't own land and you don't own a business, and there's no excuse. Uh, We call them side hustles. It's really businesses, and you formalize that business, right? And you do it out of your home if you have to. So if we don't own land and we don't own a business, I'll keep saying it, you cannot fully exploit the American tax system. The American tax system will exploit you. Mm-hmm. Now, I learned this lesson when I was 27 years old. I lived next door to a Polish guy, and he had income property in the hood. I went with him, worked with him. I ended up owning seven, two, and three family homes. Okay, this is back in the 70s, seven, uh, seven, two and three family homes. The tax write offs that I got put me in a zero tax basis. Right. So own land, start a business full time, part time, quarter time. It doesn't make any difference. Start something, find something that you love doing and then do that and monetize it. So we have to fully exploit the American tax system. And we are not. We own the fewest number of businesses per capita in America, as I said earlier, and we own the fewest number of homes per capita. And again, we came over here on the Mayflower. Lots of reasons. We don't have time to unpack all those reasons. That's A. B. Um, I got got 45 seconds for B, but give it to me right quick. I want to hear it. Here's B. Here's me. I learned one thing in 2024 already. One thing that was a revelation to me. 
Magic Johnson wasted the world's best porn name on a basketball career. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna leave that right there. I'm gonna leave that right there. His name is George Fraser, Doctor George Fraser. Uh, I love him dearly, Doc. Right, quick, give me that. Give me that web address again for the for the Black Business Legacy Project. Okay, Black Business Legacy Foundation dot org. BlackBusinessLegacyFoundation.org. He does it every time. Never, every time he comes on, I need more time with him, so he'll be back again. I promise you. Uh, that's our show for today. Thanks for tuning in. Until tomorrow, and as always, keep the faith.